Hi there, Noah T.Y. here with Steady Horse, and I'm here with Sonny Gargiulo and Carl Bledsoe. And we are here at the Appalachian Trainer Face-Off with the Heart of Phoenix Rescue, one of the largest rescues in the world. We've had the honor and opportunity to judge some of their competition, some of the trainers, and it has been a pleasure. So thank you for joining us today. Let me, let me ask this, because I think you had mentioned, if I recall, that Tammy didn't have any horse knowledge before y'all got together? The only thing she knows about horses, she's learned from me and with me. Okay. So she 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 loved animals, loved horses, but it just wasn't, her her family was not situated to where that was a possibility for her. What, tell me a little bit about that, because I think that's a common thing in the horse world. Do you think that helps? Do you think that hurts? Do you think that? It helps me. And not just because she's here. Mm. Well, it, well, it helps me because she's the filter on, on everything that I do. Mm. Uh, Tammy, you've spent the weekend with her. You, you, you'd realize she's got an opinion, but she doesn't run over the top of you with it. And, and in, in a clinic setting or in a training setting at home, she stays completely out of it. Um, unless unless she sees something go really south. There's lots of times at a clinic we'll have one or maybe two riders that are a little bit apprehensive about being there and interjecting themselves and, mm. and really putting themselves in the clinic for whatever reason. Tammy will pick up on that and she will go over to those people and she will encourage them and she will work with them in a smaller group in the clinic yeah. doing basically the same thing that I'm doing on the larger scale, but she does it kind of over to the side in an intimate setting till the people get the wherewithal or confidence enough that they can join the rest of the group. I see that 100%, just when we, just throughout the weekend with us talking, the insight that she has yes. and, and her eye and attention to detail. How long have y'all been together? We are about to celebrate our 13th year of marriage. Congratulations, that, so is, that 28th, is awesome. 28th of this month. So now you've got 13 years, or how how many years of horse horse uh, experience? Oh, well, see, I'm a I'm a second generation. All I've ever done was horses. No, no, no not you, Tammy. Sorry, I'm talking about Tammy right now. <laughs> she's got about 15 years. About 15. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's that's so interesting to me because I I feel like a lot of times non-horse people have a ton of really good perspective, mm -hmm. and when you're in it day in and day out, there's so much that we just take. For granted because it's just the light. And Tammy's different than a lot of horse girls though. If it's if she sees something happening or somebody doing something with a horse that she can't do, that she knows that she can't do, she won't criticize them. She'll have me say something to them. So she doesn't just throw herself out there to have something to say to act like she knows more. She will go talk to anybody about the level of stuff that she can accomplish. Talk about that a little more because that's a big thing in the horse industry. Everybody's a horse expert. Everybody knows so much. I saw you a get meme. so much unsolicited advice. <laughs> I, I yeah. saw a meme on Facebook the other day and it said, nobody can tell you how to train a horse better than the person that's only trained one horse. Mm. And there's a lot of truth in that. When you first start with horses, based on what I've been told, because I don't remember not being around horses, you, you have all of this new information that you want to share with everybody, but it's a small, small, small bit of insurance in the broader scale on the horse industry, but you're excited about it and you're wanting to put yourself out there and you're wanting to, to, to be a part of things. As you get seasoned and you come across more situations with horses and people, 
you learn that, that your skill set is pretty specific to you and the way that you do things. And there's probably somebody over there that's, that's done it maybe not quite as long as you that has a different skill set. And although it's not the way that you do things, but their skill set really resonates the way that they approach the horse and their relationship with the horse. So to say that somebody knows a bunch about a horse, that's really a small thing to me mm. because it, to me, anybody asked me how to, how to, well, if you have this problem or that problem with a horse, how do you fix it? My answer is always it's situational. Yeah. I need to see the situation that, that you were in with the horse before I can give you an educated opinion as to how I would approach something. I can't just give you a general. And you know, I think also that um, you have, on the professional side, you have two kinds of professionals, okay? You have the professional, probably mostly in the show ring, though, the show people. They have a way of doing it. And this is the way I do it. This is the way we do it. And that's it. This is the way my granddad did it. This is the way my dad did it. And, you know, this is what we do. And then you have the other professional, which I think all three of us are kind of the same way. Yep. Where we understand there's, there's always going to be a better way. I'm always searching for the better way, right? My way is not the best way. It, it might be a good way, but I'm always looking for that better way. And I'm always open to that better way. You know, I always tell people who are not professional, new riders even, they'll say, well, Sonny, I don't know what you know. I said, but that don't mean I can't learn something from you. You know, maybe I, when I do my clinics, I, I have 14 people, 12 people, you know, whatever it is. I've always walked away from that clinic learning something about someone who might have been a dead beginner. How often do you find that you are changing even like fundamental principles and practices? Like, like constantly. You, constantly. And, and when you. When you do that, <clears throat> so in my experience, there's some things that, and, and you're, the, you're the best one, for, but they're like some things, right, where you've been doing them for such a long way for a long time mm -hmm. that you don't even think about it. And you might not say, oh, this is the right way this is, but like <clears throat> it's, it's intrinsically in you. Well, for me, it, it was learning how to have a, a being able to read the expression of the animal. In everything that I do, I try to read what the expression, the direction the expression takes me. Do you believe that's something that can be taught? Given enough time, yes, but, but you have to have a smaller setting clinic and people that really want to immerse themselves in the, in the spirit of the horse and not necessarily want the, the YouTube version tutorial on how to train the horse because it's two completely different things. I can tell you how to ride a horse and get from point A to point B or get around this show arena and, and present the horse for the judge. But being able to do that and being able to really understand where the horse is in his mind right here in this moment are two completely different things. And, and that's what I had to develop. I had the skill set uh, from the show world that I could just ride just about any horse out there. Uh, first of all, I've, I've ridden my entire life and I'm just not, it just doesn't shake me if one's a little bit uh, intimidating or, or, or not doing what he's supposed to. I will still 
get up there and I can I can manage to I've got enough command in my seat I can manage to get the horse to do pretty much what I need him to do and so you can kind of adapt based on where that horse is what well, they I need. have to but but anymore I don't I'm not that guy I don't just get on the horse until we establish a rapport between us there's a little bit of reciprocal communication and until I get that horse to give me a little bit of feedback in hand with some expression uh, change in breathing, things to that nature, I don't put myself on the horse because all that does is make him fear. So it's that getting that fundamental groundwork, that in-hand stuff Absolutely. before you do that. What, what about you? Are you a groundwork, work, a ground, a ground horse? Are you a groundwork guy, in-hand guy? Or? Uh, I, I think I know the answer to that, but I'm not sure. Uh, generally, I'll use groundwork for behavioral issues. Okay. If I want to get performance, if I want to teach a side pass or a half pass or you know, turn around, <clears throat> I'm going to do that under saddle. Um, but having said that, uh, going back to your question, I believe that any great horseman, okay, and this this to me is where you see the roadblocks. It, it, it comes really down to arrogance and, and ego, mm -hmm. right? So if I have an ego and, I have a, and I'm arrogant with my horse, what happens is I'm not interested in what he's thinking. I'm not interested in what he's feeling. I'm not interested in that looking for that expression. Hey, this is the way I teach this. This is the way you're going to learn. But a great horseman or a good horseman for sure is always going to say, well, every horse is an individual. So, you know, I got 15 different ways to teach a side pass, 20 different ways, right? So I have to find the fit for that horse. Mm -hmm. I can't impose myself with my, you know, my method. You know, every horseman has a program, mm -hmm. right? We all have a program. I start a cult, I have a program. But that program is is constantly changing to that horse. And my ego doesn't get in the way with the horse. You know, I, I don't have an ego with the horse because I, as you heard me say last night, for me, I always remember that the horse never asked to be here. So when I put that saddle on the back, I, I know that that horse never wanted that saddle on their back. If given the choice, you know, put the saddle on the back, ride me around, or go up in that pasture and stand and eat grass. What are they going to do, right? So they, they, I pick the grass every day. Yeah. So you know, when the when you see a horseman that's not flexible, you see an arrogant and and you know a horseman that's arrogant and has an ego. If if you you know an ego and an, an arrogance and an ego, for me is a stumbling block to knowledge. Hundred percent. Let me ask. Let me ask you this though. Mm. Like, predominantly though. If you can fix it under saddle, you're probably going to, I'm, I'm assuming, just based on what I see, you're probably going to do it under saddle. Depends on the problem, right? Okay. So if it's a behavioral... Most of the time, though. Well, most of the time, if I'm working the horse, I'm going to be under saddle, yeah. Okay. yeah. But, and see that, and so yeah. that, to me, that is amazing because I feel like, like in the horse world, everybody's looking for like a silver bullet, uh, a, a one-size-fits-all. Oh, you have to do groundwork. Oh, yeah, you, you no, don't, never get off the saddle, you know. And so like the flexibility... Of and I'm I'm exact opposite. Like I'm gonna do everything on the ground. Right. Um, I'm not half the rider you are. No, don't say that. And so no, hundred percent. Like I watched you ride yesterday. That's all right. Please don't <laughs> say that. And so I'm gonna do everything on the ground so that I can make sure that when I get up on, right. on that horse, like I'm gonna look good. Well, see, I, I'll do that. You know, I, it's, it's different when I was younger. Right. But as I'm getting older, well, you know, I, I certainly. You know, especially when I'm doing a problem horse, which I do the majority of horses I do, either horses that have issues or I start colts, right? So obviously I'm not gonna hop up in that saddle. As I get older too, I'm a smarter horseman. You know, when I was in my 30s, my young 30s, I would just get up, you know, say, hey, if he starts bronking, I'll ride it out. But as a horseman, 
now I realize that's not a horseman. Man, see, if, I, if one Bronx with me, I, I feel like I've missed something. Right. I, I'm embarrassed if one Bronx with right. me. I'm, but, I'm, the same, I'm the same way, but honestly, it, it's part of it for me is like the horsemanship aspect, listening to the horse, all of that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, part of it's the safety aspect for me too, right? Yeah. No, I get it. Is, I don't want to get, I do not well, want to get hurt. Noah, the, the majority, and John Lyons said this years ago, he said, Sonny, the majority of the people you're going to be working with are trail riders. That's sure. your biggest market. Yep. The guy who's a professional rainer or the guy who's a professional gator horse guy is not going to come to my clinic. I'm not going to help him. He knows enough. He don't need my help. Not that he wouldn't learn something from me, and I wouldn't learn something from him. I use some of your stuff now that I've seen you do well, in my clinics. I appreciate that. But my point is that uh, our our market is the tr the middle aged trail rider, you know, and and I understand, you know, groundwork for them is very important because I understand fear, sure. you know, and I think that's a problem with people. They see a professional. And I've had so many people come up to me, Sonny, I had a bad accident. You know, you don't understand. I really, I said, wait, wait, I understand. Mm -hmm. I, I've been broken. I, I've been, I had horses that I feared getting thrown a leg back over. Like I did my Mustang that I won the tra I run the trail class with. Uh, I was terrified after he broke my ribs and tore my groin and gave me a concussion. He was so viciously uh, aggressive with his bronking and bucking. Uh, and I did, I mean, I took all the time, I went back to groundwork with him. Uh, he just was that horse for a long time. He needed more time. The 100 days in the challenge was not enough for him. But I was fearful of him. Fear, I, he's the first horse that made me put a vest and a helmet on. And I, I tell him, I understand fear. But one of my sonnyisms is don't let the fear destroy your passion. Exactly. Let your passion destroy the fear. So. Yes, we're afraid. Yes, no. I'll be the first person to tell you, if you're afraid and you don't feel comfortable, don't get on that horse. Do not get on. Keep going with the groundwork till you feel that horse is right. So, and you hit on something because fear is a, a huge, huge right. issue, right? And it is the beginning of so much. And so for some people, because, mm. because they're afraid, they kind of keep in and they don't they don't really want to learn more because they don't want to show that they and again it's kind of the culture right yep. you know there's this kind of know-it-all culture and horsemanship you're supposed to come out the womb knowing everything yeah. yeah and so people feel like ah oh, well i don't really want to ask or look stupid or that kind of thing and then there's also too i feel like there's a fear where people are 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 afraid and because they're afraid they do even for lack of a better term, more stupid, dumb, dangerous what things. They don't know, and so yeah, they just keep going exactly. down the same road yeah. and repeating the they don't same grow. thing. They don't grow. So that's where my groundwork comes in. I've I've got mm. a. If you bring a horse to me, you have to learn how to ride the horse from the ground. If you have a horse that's in pain, you have a horse that's anxious, you have a horse mm. that's scared, and you put the bit in that horse's mouth. All of that manifests in that horse's mouth when that bit goes in his mouth. Now you take the human and you put the reins, the human that has the fear, that has the pain, that has the anxiety, you put the reins in their hands, <clears throat> that fear, that pain, that anxiety manifest in that human's hands. And that's not a dance that you need to put together until they learn how to manage their tools. So that's where my in-hand game has really been <clears throat> a game changer for me, teaching the people to use their tools the way that it makes sense to the horse and accurately instead of using them for safety. 
You know, I always say, I ask people in my clinics, one of the first questions I ask them, how many people here think if you're nervous, you're gonna make that horse nervous? And most people will say, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I would say, and I tell them, well, that's not true. And they say, well, what do you mean? That's absolutely not true. And I'll tell you why. You could be a dead beginner, terrified of horses. You go to a, a dude ranch. You get on one of those those hack horses. Sure. <laughs> what are they going to do? They're going to go nose to tail, take you up in those mountains, and bring you back. You Hopefully. Could, you could be kicking and screaming. <laughs> Nine out of ten, yeah. I could put anyone in the world that's fearful on my horse America, and I don't care what they do. They could scream. They could kick. They could shake. They could cry. He's just going to go along. As long as what? they can hold on, yeah. What? Right. So for me, it's the idea of that a horse that is a broke horse, a trained horse, is a trained horse. Now, if you get a horse that's not trained, a horse that's hypersensitive, a horse that didn't have a good foundation and you put someone on it's fearful, you're gonna have a train wreck, mm -hmm. you know? But but for me, the idea, it's like me and you going down, we're in a car and we're driving and I'm doing like 140 miles an hour. And you go, Sonny, Sonny, slow down. This is crazy, you're making me nervous. I say, hey Noah, it's okay, I'm not nervous. <laughs> Sure. Don't be nervous. Sure. Are you going to all of a sudden just be like, oh, okay, he's not nervous. I guess I'm all right. No. So if the horse is a broke horse, and, and it always comes back to, and, and we all know that, it comes back to the foundation. Absolutely. A horse with a good foundation is going to be a great horse. I don't care if that horse is sitting for six months. You know, you're going to get on him, he's going to ride. It's the horse that doesn't have a good start that now somebody who's a beginner or a nervous rider or got hurt. I know people that rode their whole life. All of a sudden they had a bad crash, they had a bad wreck. Yep. They're like, ah, you know, broke my back. I don't want to get on anymore, I'm fearful. I go, I understand but, that. But the problem is you and I know that. And uh, I sell training and clinics and lessons and education. And for the most part you do. I, I don't, I know you have sold some horses but you don't make your living selling horses. No. Uh, yeah, I don't either. There are people out there that make their living selling horses, and they don't do the same fundamental training that we do. They go through the motions until that horse flips his switch off. Well, I mean, in, a lo in a lot of cases, yeah, you make a point. It, but 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 those horses that just flip their switch off in 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 a in a a specific setting just to get over past this point in training yeah. where we can sell the horse. That's where the problem is. That's where these people have these experiences that Sonny talks about. 100%. And, and those people that sell those horses would never come to see a steady horse clinic or to see a Sonny Guard Julo clinic or to do a just gate clinic. They, they don't think that they need that because they've seen the YouTube tutorial on how to <laughs> desensitize a horse and, yeah. and, Sometimes it desensitizes and sometimes it doesn't. And that's where the expression, the foundation, you've got a bunch of boxes that you need to check. And when you check a box off on that foundation, it doesn't mean that before that horse is training over, you don't approach that box again and check it off again. Absolutely. So, and the other part of that too is, this would be a completely different scenario. If you sent somebody home with America, not that you ever would. <laughs> He's going to adjust to their you know environment. What I mean? Well, they're always, then, they're then always what happens getting, is yeah. because they're not maintaining, they're not, you know, yeah. they're not changing the oil. They're, if you they're, will. they're, they're always going to come to, the horse is always going to come to the level of the rider. Yep. But I will tell you that 
and it depends on the, also the disposition of the horse, right? So if I gave someone America, I really, well, I did actually. I, I had to sell them at one time. I think I told you a story. Uh, for seven years, I lost them. And he was the same horse. The guy was a dead beginner. It was a husband horse for him. Uh, never an issue with behavior. With performance, absolutely. You know, the guy did not, wasn't able to get the performance out. He was on America was on vacation. Yeah, well, yeah. And, no, <laughs> he, he wrote it him. too. He wrote him. You know, he walked out of Canada. But, uh, but, you know, as far as the level of performance. So I think it's part of it is disposition with the horse. You know, if you get a horse that has a, a, a great disposition like he does, or you get a horse, let's say, like Sis, is more hypersensitive. So I feel like America is like one of those one in a million horses. You get these horses like America, you know, where, I mean, they're just solid. Yeah. You know, you put the foundation on them and it's like, you know, you can, you feel comfortable after a while that you can just turn them loose with everybody and, you know, you can pick them up seven years later yeah. at the pasture even and they just walk off. You know, those are, those are the special case. Those horses, I feel like, spoil a lot of regular horsemen. Right. You know, they get that special horse and then, unfortunately, you know, they don't last forever so it passes away or something happens and then, they're like, ah, oh, God, I want to get back to that. And what they don't realize is that for most horses, right, like you, there has to be the maintenance, there has to be the relationship. Well, you're 100% right, Noah, because you think about it. So I bring horses in for 90 days, let's say. I bring a horse, I start a colt, 90 days. I got that thing, he's riding, quiet as can be, take him out on trail, as quiet as America. Send him to the owner who's a beginner to intermediate rider. And I tell him, don't do this, don't do this. Make sure you don't give him treats. Make sure you make him work a little bit. That's you know, the first put some thing sweat they on. Do. And then within three months, they call me up, Sonny, you know, he's not standing <laughs> at the block anymore. But let me flip this not... situation around uh, because this is what I do. Th these people send these horses to you for a tune up. How often do you go for a tune up and work with somebody that, oh, that, says, that says, hey, Sonny? Yeah. You know, you're doing this, you're doing well, that, because that's, that's what I do to do my game. I, yeah. if, if I have an opportunity, if I have an opportunity to ride with Sonny Gargiulo, I'm going to. Right. And I'm, so, I'm going to take in everything he says and use what I can. He makes a great point. So this past year, I did a Josh Lyons clinic, an advanced trainer's clinic. Someone came to me and said, Sonny, why would you do that? I said, why wouldn't I do it? You know, I, he's a great trainer. I'm going to learn. So I would do it. I'm not a gated guy. But when he speaks, 100%, I'm listening yeah, to him yeah. because I want to learn, right? And I hope this is something that people that are at home listening really take to heart. Right. Yeah. Because there is, there's this air of arrogance. I know it all, you know, and people, people tell equestrians that all the time. Well, you're still taking lessons? Well, uh, you've been taking lessons for 20 years? The eyes <laughs> on the ground are immeasurable. Yeah. They are immeasurable. And, and also, you, you know, look, sometimes you can go to... You can go to a clinic, you can, whether you're participating in it or you're auditing, and you might learn something you want to do. Hopefully, you will learn something. And then there might be something you say, well, I, I'm never going to do that. Sure. So you're not I'm only going to learn what to do, you might want to do. You're going to learn, hey, I'm never going to do that. You know, you know what else is interesting, too? I've had those moments where I'm like, I'm never going to do that. And then something comes up, and I'm like, Wait a minute, I understand that. Exactly. Like for this application, it makes sense. Exactly. And for where that person was and the type of horse they had and what they were right. doing, like I can see where that makes, you ever had that happen yeah, before? Well, absolutely. Listen, yeah. I have, I had, you know, I teach my horse to lay down, right? And over the 23 years, I've worked thousands of horses, literally. I've probably intentionally laid down 10 horses 
And someone would say, well, you're a natural horseman. What are you laying horses down for? Well, because this horse is so aggressive that I need to take it. I had a horse one time, Noah. He hated puddles. He despised puddles. He was a biter. He, would, he was, a, he was a, a man eater, literally. You get on his back, he would tr he'd try to grab you. And I said, you know what? I'm going to teach this horse that he is not the leader here. I brought him to a puddle, a huge puddle, and I laid him down in the puddle. And he just, he hated it. He laid there. I, as a matter of fact, I kept him there. I didn't tie him down or anything like that. I don't do that. But I made sure he stood there for a while. I picked him up. I, I put the saddle on him. I rolled him around, took the saddle off. I laid him down again. And did he get 100% better? No. But he got about 50% better. So when you, we say that, when we talk about that stuff, people will say to me, Sonny, you're supposed to be a natural horse. Why are you wearing spurs? I'm not wearing them now. Why are you wearing spurs as a natural horseman? You know, why would you do that? You're supposed to be a natural horseman. Well, for me, the spur is an extension of my leg, right? Any spur I wear, I could squeeze in my hand. So for me, I would rather, as a natural horseman, because I have more respect for the horse, to squeeze and then roll my spur than to sit there and bump him 25 times. Because that, to me, that's abusive. Sure. Right? So I and there's, think, a, there's a skill and a knowledge that comes with knowing how to use the tool right. correctly. And I feel like that's also, I mean, there, there are some things in horsemanship that are just, yeah, in my opinion. To, he don't go to the spur right off on one when he's starting yeah, the colt. The, yeah, exactly. He, no. he, he teaches the colt how to follow his field before he yeah. ever puts that spur and, in the thing. And so a lot of people just say, oh, well, the tool's, the tool's bad because I saw this YouTube video of this mm -hmm. horse that was all torn up on the side because right. someone, somebody who didn't have the skills or knowledge or shouldn't have been using that tool yep. was using them. You know, same things people like, Bits are so misunderstood, and people well, think that the bits can so cure everything. So, did you hear my explanation to that lady yesterday when she asked me about bitless? And what was is, that? I missed. This is why I, I respect I, him so I, much. I told the lady yesterday. I said I have. I'm not opposed to bitless if that's what you believe. Mm -hmm. But what I do believe is, is, is if you believe in bitless, you still need to teach your horse how to wear a bit, just in case something happens to you, and your horse winds up with somebody that doesn't believe in bitless, mm -hmm. because if they get that horse, your your horse, I have to pay the sure. price. For their ignorance, not yours, but theirs, because you need to teach the horse how to wear the bit. I love it. I'm going to tell you something that John Lyon said years ago, and it, it was so profound to me when he said it. He said, think about this. When any great horseman worth his salt starts a colt, what do they start him in? What would you start a colt? Rope halter. Rope halter, yeah, maybe a snaffle, snaffle, right? At that point in the horse's life, he is the most uneducated he'll ever be. Mm -hmm. And we start him in a rope halter. Then why, as he gets educated, would we have to go to a shank bit or a heavy bit or drone raids? Yeah. You should be, I mean, if you think about it, you should be going the other way, if there is another way, right? Sure, sure. So, so why would we get a heavier bit when we're working with the horse at that point when he, has, he knows nothing? Now as he gets educated, we're bidding him up more? How does that work? Absolutely. It's yeah, just, was, oh, this is the finished horse. This horse is in the bridle. It's got to stay in the bridle. And the reality, in my in my opinion, the true mark of a horseman is whatever you can do in that bridle, you ought to be able to do in the rope halter, the right. I mean, Yeah, you ought to. Because otherwise, is that even really there? Understand the anatomy. Because like I said yesterday, doesn't doesn't matter what breed of horse you're riding, the back legs and the head are connected. If you're riding that horse correct, that that head is a byproduct of you riding him correct, and it will be where it's supposed to be. Now, 
you can put a snaffle bit on and get a little refinement after you get that head where it needs to be. After you've trained the refinement, you can go back to the rock hawker. I do. I, so, got, I, I, I rotate between a bit, snaffle. Sometimes I'll ride this a couple of months in a snaffle. Then I'll do a month in the rope halter. Then I go to a buzzell. So, you know, I always constantly change because I want to, especially with the rope halter. For me, a rope halter develops feel. You cannot manhandle the horse, right? So for me, I like to use my rope halter because it's my rope halter. But I also like to use it because it has side pull. I don't like using rope halters that are attached to under the chin because now you're just playing with the access of exactly, the horse's head, exactly. right? But um, I think, you know, what I believe is that you take, for instance, uh, and I have this argument with uh, buckaroos all the time, okay? When we talk about the spade bit, and I say the spade bit, what a broader horse, for me, what I, I look at it as tradition, okay? No, it's refinement, it's this, it's that. Well, and once a horse gets to a spade bit, he is refined, or he's not He's not he at that be. level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So for me, it's tradition. Well, no, I said, listen, I don't care who you are. You're human. At some point in that horse's time with you, yes. you're going to grab that spade bit. Yeah. Right? Everyone will do it. You know, that horse, he's, he's a bridle horse. He's a made bridle horse. But he makes a mistake. You're not refining. Sometimes they're going to get a hold of that. And that's a pretty harsh bit, I believe. And they'll say or no, if you, you drop your rein and it's dragging in the ground and, <laughs> <laughs> and that tack gets all dirty. But who would do that? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody here. Nobody here. No, I agree with you. Yeah, because and and again, it goes back to putting the horse first over performance. And to me, like fundamentally, that is the hardest thing to break <clears throat> because showmanship is such an entrenched part of horsemanship today. It's not like we use horses in a utility way like we're used to. Yeah. And people who are ignorant about horses, like, oh, thank God horses aren't work like they used to. But they were so well taken care yeah. of. There was more thought they to the horse. Fit. Yeah, because they were a part of your family. Yeah. And you they needed, were the way you, you needed them. If you oh, didn't yeah. take good care of that horse, right. you were gonna be stuck on the side of the road yeah. and you know, no access to, to anything. And so nowadays, because now the the showmanship is what drives the horse economy. A lot of people just naturally, it's show, that, that, that's where all the education comes from, that's where all the money goes, that's where all the motivation, the yep. showmanship, and we teach it from a young age, and, and nothing against you know kids showing or nothing against showing at all. But there is this, you know, get that blue ribbon, get that buckle, right. win, win, win. Uh -huh. And I hate to see when that moves above the horse. Well, that's what happens. Not every time, of course, not every time, but many times, the horse pays the price for the for the buckle Absolutely. of the ring. Right. I think also as horsemen, we have a responsibility to not show. Uh, for instance, okay, we have a responsibility to show good horsemanship, especially in in this day of social media. You know, so when you're doing things on YouTube, you, I'm very conscious of what I show, okay? I don't do long videos. I don't teach people how to sit down a horse. I don't teach people how to teach a horse to rear. I don't teach people how to lay right. down a horse. I don't do it. I know it's out there, but I don't do it. Sure. Because I feel like, yeah. as a horseman, 
For instance, I had a woman, I think it was last year, Sonny, I want you to teach my daughter's horse to rear because we're doing prom pictures and we want to put her in a prom dress and have the horse rear up with the, with the girl on it. And I said, absolutely not. Well, why not? Why? Because I'll teach that horse to rear. First of all, it's a stupid, it's an absolute absurd reason to teach a horse to rear because it's a dangerous thing to do. And your daughter's going to go around the rest of her time with that horse. Exactly. Showing everyone how she can reel that horse up. Right. So yep. at the end of the day, we, you know, it's horsemen. And, and it goes for the horsemen. And I, I've seen too. it. You know, someone accidentally is standing in front of that horse and that horse thinks he was cute and, you right. know, rears up yeah. and ends up coming down and breaking or the lady's arm. if you don't keep arm. the horse. I've had horses over the years that had a cue on them. I'm working a horse. The horse kept rearing and rearing. I'm like, this horse has a rearing problem. Then I realized that my hands were right in front of that horn. And if I touched the wither on the right side, yeah. that was his cue. Yeah. You go up. And then also, too, and, and, and part of that, too, is like, I mean, there are. There are, you know, the liberty performers, the professionals, the people right. who are doing that, or the people who are committed to this horse. Like, I'm going to have this horse for their entire life. 100%. Like, no, judge, no judgment there. And it's incredible what some of these, you know, folks, liberty folks can do with these horses. But they're professionals. They're consistent with their right. cues and their communication, I and they teach, know what they're doing. I teach biomechanics for the horse and rider, and how how for you to ride that horse for him to be fit, and take care of his body where you can take care of your body riding, and we sell clinics doing that. And it's my clinics sometimes are hard to get enough participation. <clears throat> I can advertise a trick training clinic because I can trick train <laughs> and I and there will not be enough room in Fills the clinic up. for the number of people that want to come trick right. train, but they don't want to learn basic fundamentals and basic proper biomechanics for the horse and rider for the long-term health of the horse. Right. And listen, we all find that, right? So, uh, you know, I do both, right? So I understood right from the beginning because I, my influences were Tommy Turvey, is a friend of mine, and Josh Lyons at that time, and John, you know, John and Josh, right? So I knew as a horseman, if I'm gonna be the successful horseman, I have to have those two components to grab the attention, right? Because the average person that rides wants to have fun too, sure. yeah. right? So yeah. that's why programs like, you know, that do, that teach liberty, uh, the Pirelli program was very successful um, as far as, you know, middle-aged people that just, you know, want to do these games with their horses because it was kind of fun, right? It's kind of fun. So I understood that. It's not like Carl who is a, has, a, has a niche, and he has a niche within his niche, which is mm. even better because he's a gated horse trainer, but he also is out, he doesn't train in a traditional way. He, he, he debunks everything they've always taught. And that's why I gravitated to him. I was like, you know what? I don't like all these jacked up, you know, gated horses that have a permanent smile on their face. And, and when I spoke with Carl, I said, you know, Carl, and we had just met. I said, yeah, you know, I started a few gated horses, but I'll be honest with you. And I, I thought he was going to start, you know, yelling at me like, hey, you know, you can't do that. I saw him in a, in a snaffle, and I just I just rode him like a horse. He's like, that's great. I was like, yeah, this, this is the guy I want yeah. to talk to. You know, and, and you could probably say something about that. Oh, but, you know, I tell people all the time, just like I did yesterday, the only bit that's going to train a horse is a bit of knowledge. Right. And, and a horse is a signal response animal. They do not respond well to a lot of pressure all the time. That's why you see so many people in the gated world have a need for a trainer to tune a horse up because that horse has been ridden into pressure the entire time that person's had him and the horse is right. pressure cooking right. like a keg of dynamite about to blow up. You teach that horse to carry his body in a posture with a signal 
then once he's trained with that signal, you don't have to use that signal all the time. Yeah, and you know, we, I just want to go back to one other thing, if you can, Noah. Um, I want people, we discussed this, I think I discussed it, we definitely discussed it with Carl. Um, there's people who want to be horsemen yeah. and horsewomen, and there's just people that want to ride. Yep. And you know, and that's fine. And there's people that just want to be on the ground. You know, I see so many people uh, do groundwork, and they love it. Sure. And like, hey, you got a horse, are you gonna ride that thing? Well, you know, and they're, maybe they're fearful, fearful of them. They probably are, but I don't. I don't care. You know that. That's not. I don't judge them about that. You know, if you if you're spending good quality time with your horse and you're teaching your horse and you're having fun with that horse and you give him a good home and you're feeding him well and you just want to do groundwork. Yep. I don't care. I, you don't have to be a horseman for me. You know, uh, I enjoy being a horseman. He enjoys it, and you enjoy it. Uh, we enjoy learning. We enjoy working with the new horse and trying to figure things out. But, you know, and, and that's why I'm not a big groundwork guy, you know, I, only for behavioral issues, uh, because I enjoy being on their back, you know, and teaching them things as opposed to, because I always have this theory, and sometimes I get some slack for it. I'm like, you know, I'm not a guy that likes to lunge horses before I ride them. I'm totally against that. Like, stop. let's create the horse I really want. Is that the horse I really want? Do I want a horse that I have to lunge before I ride? I want the horse like, hey, come on out, tie him on the fence, let him stand up for a little while if he's a little squirrely, let him get his mind back in check, tack him up, and let's ride him. Um, but, you know, not everybody feels they can do that. And they feel like, hey, let me lunge this horse down a little bit. But I feel what they're not understanding is that they're actually raising the adrenaline. Absolutely. Level, you know, and then the other part of it is too that uh, they're conditioning that adrenaline too. Condition, and, and then the balance. And on, and on top of that, right? Like when you're just lunging horse, especially the traditional way that people lunge horses. Man, that horse gets like you saying gets they get tougher and tougher. Yeah. It takes longer and longer, and you're just you're just wearing them out, yeah. and so it's a bandaid. Right. Like, and what well, I'm there's so many like, things that, that go wrong be... in that lunging too. They learn how to lean on the bit. They learn <clears> how to <throat> counter bend the circle where you can't get balance. There's a lot of things that, in, and in, they learn thoughtless movement. Exactly. Which so, is which is the worst. People I meet up with that lunge, uh, especially in the English community. I do a lot of English-based horses. They're like, oh, I know you don't like to lunge, Sonny. Yeah. No, it's not that. I don't. To me, it's mindless circles. You know, what are you going to, even a round pen. I have the most beautiful round pen you'll ever see. I rarely use that round pen. I will use it if I have a squirrely colt that I, I'm going to get on. I can start a colt in my 180-foot ring, you know, 120 by 180. I'll start that colt there if, he's, if I do it right and he's that kind of colt. Sometimes you get one that's a little squirrely, then I put him in the round pen. But, you know, what are you going to do in a round pen or on a lunge line? What could you really do? You're going to, in a round pen, you can do inside, outside, and downward and upward transitions and maybe a stop, right? That's, that's okay. And then you put them on a lunge line. What are you really teaching them? To go. Now, some people say, well, I'm teaching them balance. Well, you know what? You could teach that horse balance on a lunge line, and he can look balanced. He can canter around. That's great. But guess what? When I put that 40-pound saddle on him and I'm 190 pounds, get on top of him, all that balance you thought you taught him and he was okay with, he has to readjust himself and learn how to balance again. That's exactly right. Because now you got a rider on your back. So it's totally different. And, and then going into that, I'm not a, uh, a fan of uh, centered riding. So, you know, I know people say, well, they talk about centered riding. You have to stay under your horse. You have to, you know, stay in the center of the horse. And that's great if you can do that. 
But a guy like me who's been riding 23 years and thousands of horses, my posture is not, I, I just can't do it physically. Well, so, that's it. I mean, and that, I mean, I think that's the crux of it all is there's nine different ways to skin a cat. You right. gotta, it's probably a bad analogy to use, but you gotta really do what works for you and makes sense with that horse in that situation. Right. And everybody wants it to be black and white. It's not, it's not. It right. We live in the gray world. We, we sure do. Right. And you gotta navigate that and do what makes sense for you. And I feel like the more that people feel like they have the freedom to do that, Mm -hmm. the better off, you know, my thing, the safer they're going to be, they're going to do. You know, when you feel constricted and you feel feel boxed in, mm -hmm. like things fall apart pretty quick. I've had to adjust myself two or three times at clinics. I've had, in the last year, I've had three, three different Pirelli level three trainers bring gated horses and ride in my clinics. And then I've had two classical trainers that have carried horses all the way to Grand Prix ride in my gated clinics. And I've had to adjust what I do a little bit to their way of doing things. And and I didn't want I didn't want them to think they that, that they had to completely change what they were doing to be effective with the gated horse. We just needed to add that element to what they were doing. And if you try to communicate that with people, people that are really for the horse, yeah. it is it is amazing how everybody across all those different things will meet you halfway. And, and we we made lots of progress on all of those cases. That's awesome. People people yeah. understanding and connecting with the gate. Do you do you lunge a horse? Because some people do, some people don't. Some some people don't. Some people do. Some pe do you lunge a horse? I don't lunge. I do some in hand work. Okay. So so after I've had a horse, you know, for for a week, I, I should be able to. That horse should be able to stand square on his own and ground tie. That horse, I should be able to move that horse's hindquarters, move that horse's yeah. shoulders, and move his barrel, and I will put a saddle on him and get on him and ride after that. But, I, but every time I go get that horse from the pasture of whatever enclosure he's in, from there to the point where I put my saddle on, we move the hindquarters, we move the barrel, we move the shoulders both directions. Where, where he, where he uh, I'm going to use a, a Sunny Guard Julo quote here, capture the mind, capture the horse. Absolutely. And if you and capture so, his mind, if, if, he, if he thoughtfully moves his shoulders or his hindquarters because you've asked him to, you've got his mind. So gotcha. I just want to say also, no, if you don't mind, uh, it's not that I'm against groundwork. Uh, I'm against the mindless groundwork. The mindless. So, yeah, 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 yeah. so if, I'm, if I want to, can I teach a horse to, to, you know, laterally move on the ground? Yeah. But I know I could do it on the saddle. But it's not that I wouldn't do it. If I had a horse, if I was up in that saddle and having trouble, this horse, I'm, I'm just not getting to him. I tried everything I could get. Yeah. Then I'm jumping down, and I'm doing it on the ground. But uh, specifically, people, I don't know what it is. Lunging is a thing, and people latch on. You know, people latch on to things or whatever. And lunging is a lunging is a thing. So, like for example, me personally, like my official position is I don't lunge. Right. But there's people who see what I do and they say, well. Lunging that horse. Sonny don't lunge one, but I've seen Sonny do some clinics on his on his uh, Facebook page. He was in. Well, you were in Germany two years ago, three yeah. years ago. Buff, they yeah. had a problem horse there that Sonny worked in the round pen, I, and I don't know all the details. Sonny could tell you about it, but he did quite a bit. But he didn't do it in hand. His groundwork, the horse was loose, but it took Sonny about one round. But it's not mindless. It's not just it's not running them because, to get them because he got a connection with the horse before he ever has the horse to do. You're anything. moving that horse's shoulder. You're right. getting lateral. Well, you're getting not them only soft. That, all right. That. So I'll put a horse on a lunge line, 
and I will lunge him around, okay? So first thing I'll do is, <clears throat> if you bring a horse into me and you say, Sonny, I lunge, I'm, I'm gonna lunge. Then I'm gonna make sure that that horse lunges properly. He's not gonna start throwing his head around and bolting up and speeding up. So I'm gonna, if that's what the client does and they're comfortable with that, then I'm gonna make sure he does it right. The other thing I'll do is I do things like, uh, I'll take a 15 foot line on his nose and I'll take a 15 foot line and I'll put it on the horn of the saddle. Then I'll drop it down through the stirrup and I'll lunge him around and I'll pull that line on the, on the horn and that's, that stirrup will just start banging on him you know, to work on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or I'll take it, put it on the horn, and I'll flip it behind his hindquarter while he's going around and let him scoot over. around. So that kind of lunging is fine for me. It's almost I, mean, I, I do it all yeah. the time, yeah. right? Or driving, line yeah. driving, great. But just to take a horse out, I feel like it's almost like a fake sense of security that people get. Like, hey, well, lunge your horse it, before you ride. That is exactly for what it is. It's more for the person than, than the horse, 100%, yeah, right? right? And so... And so I, I teach sending and people say that's, and, but it's essentially line driving, you're driving from the hip, you're getting lateral motion, you're breathing that horse down to a stop, you're backing that horse. But the idea with that is people need a way to connect with the horse and build that confidence. And so if that's gonna help you, like so for that lady who says, I'm gonna lunge, you're like, okay, lunge, but do it, you know, do it right so you're not making the problem worse instead of right. making it better. Right. But it gives that person an opportunity to in that moment, yep. to calm down their nerves, to start being more intentional and thoughtful about what they're doing with their horse, all that kind of stuff. And that, that goes a long way for a lot of people when you can graduate them up to. I to have where a good friend of mine, one of the Spaghetti Cowboys, has a, an amazing, an amazing quarter horse. I mean, this thing, he bought it. I'm coming over for dinner. Oh, man, way. you gotta come. <laughs> he bought this horse. It's an amazing horse. When I tell you this thing, it will cut, it lopes off, it, it spins. I mean, it's just an outrides him. He, he's not good enough to ride the horse to its potential, but it's a great horse. It's quiet. And if I ride it for him, I tack it, I get on, I ride it. There's none of this, you know, moving around. But for him, mentally, in his mind, he has to dis send him around a little bit, disengage his hindquarter one way, disengage the other way, and, uh, and maybe back him up a little bit. And then he gets on him. And my other friend said, my friend Enzo, come on, Anthony, just get on the horse. What are you doing? You know, what are you doing, fatso? Let's go, get on the horse. You know, that's how they are, right? <laughs> he gets on the horse, but after he does that, and then we started to figure out, you know what? It's not the horse, because I get right on the horse, you know? It, it, he needs to do that for himself. And it was the same thing with a saddle pad. His horse, I ride his horse all the time. You know, for him, once in a while, I ride it. He, he took the horse at 100 pace. The horse blew up at the 100 pace. Now, he was convinced in his mind, because my buddy Enzo, who's the other spaghetti cowboy, they were kind of buddy sour. So Enzo doesn't care. He just walks off, right? Anthony's horse starts rocking around with him, tosses him off. He goes, it's the pad. It's the pad, because I put a one pad on him. You know, I said, try the one pad. It really sticks, you know? It's the pad. I knew it was the pad. To this day, if I go to ride his horse, he's like, did you use my tack? Because, you know, he has a Clinton Anderson Australian saddle. I won't ride in it, right? I don't ride that thing. I said, you can't go to Texas and ride that thing. You're crazy. They'll let you out of Texas. But, you know, we kid around about it. But I said, Anthony, it's not the pad. I use the one pad on him all the time. It's not the pad. But he, in his mind, he will never use the one pad, ever. 
and he always does that little bit of groundwork. And I, I'm the same way. I, I always, for me, that's my connection point with horse. I got to do a little bit of groundwork, make sure we're on the same page, make sure that we're responding, because then, only then, really will I feel confident and comfortable. Because people come, so when I used to do like clinics every weekend and I was training horses for a living, like people would bring problem horse, the worst horses. They never tell you the truth. And so like, and, and everybody feels like, and it's for, any, for, for anybody at home, like when you go to a clinic, take your best horse because you're gonna actually have the opportunity to learn exactly. the most and feel comfortable. Right. But everybody wants to bring like the worst horse because they're, like, they're yeah. like, oh, I'll take it to the clinic and it'll get fixed. Yeah. And usually, you know, clinics is a, it's a terrible environment for a horse that doesn't have a little, there's horses everywhere, there's yeah. lots of other bad horses. Yeah. And so it's really, really easy to leave that clinic, especially if it's only like two, three days, yeah actually worse off, right. you might not have a little bit more knowledge, but that horse's confidence might be shaken. But like my, my point though is people will bring these crazy horses and they're like, here, you get on them and, and, and you see them. Like, no. <laughs> I said, let's do a little bit of groundwork and you can get this horse going and you're gonna get on that horse. <laughs> I, had a woman, I had a woman one time, brought me a horse and she said, Sonny, he bucks on trail. I said, okay. So I tack him up, right? I get on him. She goes, uh, you gonna go out? I said, no. She goes, well, the problem's on the trail. I said, are you lying to me? She said, no, no, he bucks on trail. I said, well, why would I go out there? He's gonna fail. I'm, I might get hurt. He might fail. He might get hurt. I believe you. If you're not lying to me, I believe you. Well, what do you mean? I'm gonna ride him in this ring for about a week or so. When I know I got control of him, when I know I can get him cantering off, and I, I feel as a professional, he's cantering off quietly and not bothered by it, then I'll take him on trail. But if you want to go out on trail and show me how he bucks, I'm more than willing to take my horse out and ride next to you yeah. and see how he does that. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I tell her, I'm not a crash dummy. Mm -hmm. I'm not a cowboy. People say, hey, he needs a cowboy. I'm not a cowboy, I'm a no. horseman. No, and that's the worst thing you can do to a horse is try to ride the buck out of him. Find what the problem is. Some of them you have to ride the buck out yeah. of them. But just like, to, to your point, you rode that horse for a week and you probably found the underlying problem and never right. had the problem with right. him to begin with. Because the, the problem wasn't the buck. Yeah. The bucking's always a symptom. Yep. Always a symptom. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Bucking, rearing, biting, the kicking, all that. In the gated world, it's, it, the, the, the symptom is, is uh, my horse is a fire-breathing dragon on the trail and I have to have this much bit to slow him down. And mm. really what they're doing with that much bit is, is adding to the problem. More anxiousness. Yeah. Lack so, of clarity. So, so when you see him getting the horse ready at the trailhead and he won't stand still for them to tack, that's that's where the problem started. Yeah. You don't have the horse there. Right. How do you think you're going to have him over here in the woods when you have to have a pocket full of treats and a hay bag tied to the trailer to get your right. saddle on him? Yeah, I mean, I get that all the time, too. My horse won't stand at the mounting block, Sonny. I take the horse, I work the horse over there. They go, no, 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 the problem's over here at the mounting no. block. No, no, no. Sure. The problem is the horse won't stand. Yeah. So like you saw my demo yesterday, I put this all the way across the arena. I said, ho, and she stood there. Because my horse knows, when I say ho, don't, that doesn't mean, if I put you here, don't move. If I put you in the trailer, don't move. If I put you on the cross ties, don't move. Wherever I put you, ho means ho, that means a mounting block, don't move. So I don't teach the, the symptom. Like you said, I, I say the same thing. The problem is the horse don't move. The symptom is he's moving at the block. Right. So if I fix the block, he's gonna move somewhere else then. He'll stay yeah. there maybe, but then he's gonna move over there. Yeah. So we, yeah. we as horsemen address the problem, and the problem is never there. Right. The problem is deeper. It's a, Yeah, yeah, the problem is that the fact, 
is the horse doesn't trust you enough right. to say ho and that everything's going to be safe and okay. Yeah. And, and that I, they're and not going to have the, to move. I think the people foster that because we're doers. You've heard me say a hundred times this weekend, especially when we've done the walkthrough on the clinics, you guys, if y'all will come up to each of these obstacles and wait, and that horse wait with you, you will, you will be a much better off on my card because I love to teach a horse to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait. And that's, and that's what Sonny's point is about the horse, his, his mare standing. She has learned how to wait on him. I love so. that. I love that, and I think that's something a lot of people can take a lot of value from yeah. at home because everyone focuses on the go, go, go. Right, so see, that's the that's the, the groundwork huge. that I do. You know, like to me, that's behavioral. Okay, if your horse is moving, I tell my horse to hoe, and she starts moving around. That's a problem for me. Now, the problem I have with a lot of folks is they'll they accept that stuff. And ho needs needs to mean ho. <laughs> right. Right. Not like, kind of ho. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they get on the block, the horse starts walking away. Well, he does it all the time. Of course he does. But there's going to be one time when he does it and he tosses you off the other side. You know, they accept that stuff. I'll give you a great example. I had a Grand Prix horse one time I worked. Uh, and the horse's problem, they said, was the mounting block. It won't stand. So I taught the horse to stand. And this is what I mean by tolerating it. The girl goes to the Hampton Classics. I go with her. Sonny, and he had a bucking problem. I fixed that. She goes, Sonny, would you work him out? Yeah, okay, I'll work him out. So I work him out, I lope him around. I'm the only guy in the ring on a loose rein on the buckle loping this big, you know, warm blood around. Did you wear your breeches in the cowboy hat? No, I, you know, I tell you what happened. I wore the cowboy hat. The this sh- this show steward came running over. Sonny, Sonny. <laughs> What's the matter? Come over. Right Gotta here. put a helmet on. All right, okay, I put a helmet on. Now, I look the horse around, I get off. I take the horse and I take, with the reins, I throw it over a post. There was a coffee truck, like literally from here to that fence. I go get a coffee. The guy runs over like the place was on fire. Yeah. Sonny, Sonny, what are you doing? The horse was like this, right? Standing quiet, because that's what I taught him. You gotta hold that horse. I said, why? You gotta hold that horse. You can't just, I said, he's not going anywhere. You gotta hold him. So I think what happens is people tolerate bad behavior or, or you know, I, I'll say to somebody, how, how many years is he dancing on the cross ties like that? Well, hey, don't I throw your reins over yeah. the post. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's a funny thing you say that because I posted a picture one time. I started two horses and I threw the reins over the mirror of my truck and I, I took a picture you know, and I went to the ice cream truck. And, uh, Probably got a thousand oh, comments. How could you t- you throw the reins over with the bit in his mouth? Yeah, I think he, I was one of those comments. It, it might have been. <laughs> so, uh, That's I'm not a, a real cowboy. I'm a, I'm a little <laughs> well, John Wayne did it. John Wayne wrapped those reins, the split reins around the rail. But uh, and we don't do that, right? So, um, look, I think uh, I think everyone should always want to have a better horse and and, and create the horse you really want. And that's what I always tell people. Do you do you really want a horse that you have to? Even my own horses, I go to hose them down. Now they cross tie. I don't cross tie them. I say, oh, stand there. I take off the halter, they stand there, I hose them, and then I put it back on them. Why? Because horses horses are animals of uh, condition response, right? I put them in that condition, I say, stand, stand, stand. I might have had to tell them a thousand times, but I have the patience to tell them a thousand times. And if they move a thousand times, I have yep. the patience to move. And, that's, and that, that's the thing too, that's just so important for people at home to understand. Mm-hmm. 
is when you put the dedication, the time, the intentionality into a horse, you have a horse that literally trusts you no, no matter what. Mm-hmm. As a clinician and a coach, like when I was over there with you, with your horses over there, and you're like, oh, and the horse is just standing there, and, and I'm like, I'm freaking, you know, because you know, I'm used to like, oh, grab your horse, do this, you know, be careful, guys, you know, I don't want anyone to get hurt. And I'm watching the highway there, and it's, everything is going through, <laughs> through my mind. Oh, this morning. No, yesterday when, oh, yesterday, when you were getting ready for your demo, okay. right? And uh, you're like, oh, he's, he's fine. Here, America, come here. And, you know, the horse is just, whoa, and they're just standing there. But people feel like, and, and, and they're, again, going back to the whole showmanship versus horsemanship, like that is such a true display of horsemanship. But there was so much investment that went into oh, that yeah. and intentionality. And people feel like, oh, my horse should just know how to do that. Or well, I should just know how to do that. One of the how many kids you got? Three. Do your kids just know how to do anything without any guidance? Not at all. <laughs> okay. So the most important thing I always tell people is if you don't raise your expectations, how could you possibly expect your horse to? Yeah. So Absolutely. expect, expect. you know, it's John Lyons thing, right? Expect the perfect. I want to build the perfect horse. Now, is he ever going to be perfect? Of course not. But I'm striving for that. I'm striving for that. Like, I could put, you know, I want to be able to put this a quarter mile away and say, ho, and I can get in my car and drive away and come back and she's still standing right. there. Now, is she going to do that? No. But but that's what I want to, I, I always want to try to achieve better and better. You but know, you I, put the time, yeah, the effort so, so into it. So when people it. come to my mm-hmm. clinics, the first thing I say to them, if you don't like what your horse is doing, the first thing that has to change it's is fine. you. I agree. And then you have to be willing to keep changing. Right, right. Absolutely. And you know, the truth is, when you fix yourself and you gain knowledge, the horse comes along. You know what I mean? That you don't normally, outside of performance, okay, when you have a horse that's not behaving, when you gain knowledge and fix yourself, the horse kind of just follows along because they're natural followers, right? So if I, if I set up boundaries for my horse and expectations for my horse they're going to do if i if i'm serious about it they're going to follow along if i tell your horse hey stand here don't move and he moves and i put him back and he put him back and i put him back after a while he's going to say this guy is going to put me back a thousand times so be honest sonny yes sir on the worst one you ever had about standing how long did it take you to get that horse standing yeah stay where you put him and I'm wanting to prove a point here. The worst, you've ever, solid, worst you've ever had. Maybe two days. It's not a big time investment. You just have to be committed right. to it. I'll tell you a quick story. When I did the Mustang Challenge, we threw a big party when we were leaving, when I was leaving to go do it. We had about 80 people. And a lady brought in a paint, and this paint was dancing on the cross ties. And that was one of her problems. Oh, he don't stop. She, You know, the horse is bouncing off the, the stall doors. And Okay, no problem. <clears throat> I put them on the cross ties. There's 80 people walking around the barn, looking in the stalls. The, the horse is dancing like crazy. Lady comes over to me about an hour later. She goes, uh, Sonny, uh, you got her on the cross ties. She's still standing. Uh, she's still dancing around. So I know. An hour and a half goes by. Uh, Sonny, you left her tacked on the cross ties. I said, she's still dancing? Oh, yeah. Okay. Two hours later, she comes, same lady. Sonny, that horse is still on the cross ties. So she's still moving a little bit. Three hours later, Sonny, that horse has been there for three hours. I said, she's moving? No, she looks like she's falling asleep. 
Great. I walked in, took her off the cross ties, put her in the stall, threw her a flake of hay. Next day I came out, took 15 minutes. The third day, she was, I put her on, she's still like a statue. You sure. get what you reinforce. 100%. That's it. And a lot, a lot of people, and, put, and you, you were willing to put that time in, and a lot of people give up way too stinking mm -hmm. fast. That's just like a patient's pole. But I you use a patient's but you don't even know what you don't know, right? Exactly. I use a patient's pole at home, and it, it is the exact same scenario. <laughs> sure. I don't just walk off and leave that horse until he's dead. Sure. I check on that horse regularly, and when that horse's posture in his mind or what I want, that's when we go to the stall. Right. It's just yeah. like yesterday when we were telling the trainers, you know, like, let that horse settle. Yeah. Like, before you do anything, if you walk into the arena and they're snorting and everything, yeah. like, just let no, him, nothing let good him, is going to come yeah, from that. Yeah, let them stand still and relax. Yeah, nothing and, good is going to come from that. And that's something, like it, it took three hours, could have taken four, right? Yeah. And that's a true display of horsemanship because yeah. there's, there is a cost to not waiting. That's exactly right. right. But it benefits our horse. I told one of the contestants yesterday, I'm gonna, I said, I'm going to tell you something right now because she came in, the horse was a little snorty. She actually took all her time, like we spoke about. She waited. She didn't do. A, she didn't do one obstacle, mm -hmm. but she she really gave the horse the time. And I said to her, "I'm going to tell you right now. All three judges, Noah and Carl and myself, respect you more as a horsewoman that you did that than try to ride that horse through those obstacles." Remember, is that horse Mario? Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah. that that horse left the ring. Better than he oh, he, he left a whole lot better than yeah. he came in the ring. And if she had been so focused on the Driving clock through, and, and, yeah. and well, pushed and, him. And, and on the flip side of that coin, one came in yesterday and was at the second obstacle. And, and twice at the second obstacle, you made the comment, oh, I don't think I would have rewarded right there. Mm. And the, she got the same behavior at the next obstacles because she was rewarding that behavior. Sure. Right, right, right. Listen. Let me let me wrap up with this, guys, because we'll talk all day. Yeah, <laughs> this has been awesome. <clears throat> I'll, I'll start with you, and I'm gonna, and then I'll share as well. But I want you to tell me something, something impactful in your life, like something personal, like on a deep level, that has affected your horsemanship. Like if there's one thing that really has like this overall arching reach mm -hmm. on your horsemanship, like what would you say? That thing is my transformation from the show world to the to the natural horsemanship classical training world. When I'm when I made that change, I was just married to Tammy. We we had just been married a short while, and I had not an ounce of empathy or feel in my body. I was that show guy, win at all cost. In in the transformation I went through with her help. To, to find a better person has completely changed my ability and in, in effectiveness in what I do with the horses now. That. When you say find a better per person, what do you mean by that? Um, I was motivated by what I wanted. I didn't have any empathy for the horse. I would take care of them. They had all that they needed. But, but, it, but I never looked at the horse and thought, if I were going to help you uh, how would I approach you? It was my way or the highway, like we started this conversation out mm -hmm. earlier. I was that guy, and and I learned to be a different human. Tammy helped me, That's and awesome. and and that 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 transition from the show world, and then being married to to somebody that didn't know horses but knew she she grew up in a home where there was some fear, and she she helped me understand what fear, having to live with fear. 
mm. what what that was all about, <clears throat> and and that made all the difference in the world to me. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Mm. How about you, Sonny? Well, you know, it's really two things, Noah. Um, you know, I told you my story. Uh, you know, when, when I lost everything and I became homeless, living in my truck, and I had just started playing with horses, I wasn't training, I started to realize being around the horse the whole time, first of all, it was the only thing I trusted, because my horse never lied to me. They always told the truth, you know, whether they, if he didn't like what I was doing, they told me, they, they did, they told me. There was no, there was no, uh, Yes or no, you know, yeah. There's no gray area in that sense, okay? And I started to, I started to learn to have respect for this animal because here I am every day imposing my will on a horse. We all do it. Sure. We impose ourselves on the horse, and yet that horse allows it. Can easily not allow it if the horse doesn't want to be there. Yep. You know, sure, if yeah. you don't, he don't want you on his back, you ain't gonna be on his back. I don't sure. care who you are, who you think you can, how well you think your seat is. If he doesn't want you there, you're not gonna be there. So that the horse will tolerate the human's uh, absurdity sometime and, and, and uh, tolerate being imposed on every single moment you're with your horse. There's not a moment I'm not with my horse that in some fashion I'm not imposing on her, whether it's at a level of two or a level of eight or yeah. 10. So for her to be so good hearted and so, such a pure spirit that she allows that, I, I take that now and I live that. And some people say it, but I really live it. Every time I get on a horse, I remember that this horse did not ask to be here. And it didn't ask to carry this saddle and ask to carry me. You know, so I remember that. So when that horse maybe is acting a certain way, I don't want it to act. Uh, I look, instead of saying, hey, you stupid horse, why are you doing that? I say, what am I not doing that he's not understanding or she's not understanding to make this horse feel safe? Because that's all they want is security. Yep. And then the other part of it for me would really change my horsemanship. Like like Carl had, a, a you know, an awakening himself was that, you know, about maybe 10 years ago, I started to understand, you know, what we all heard Ray Hunt say, you know, make the right thing wrong and, the, you know, what you don't want to do, the wrong thing, make it hard and the right thing easy. And, you know, the horse, you know, capture the horse's mind to control the feet. I didn't say that. That's not my sonism, but I say it. You know, that's a Ray Hunt thing, right? I mean, that's what he really was trying to make people understand. And I never really understood it. I was like, yeah, all right. And I was the guy in the beginning that was twirling the rope at the horse. You know, you move your feet, I'm gonna make you move your feet. Mm. You know, you wanna back up, I'll back you up. Go ahead, and I'll run you backwards. And I see guys doing, I see top clinicians, you know, there's one in particular. You know, the horse, you know, starts to go forward, he'll back him up, you know, run backwards with him. He's doing more work than the horse. And uh, I started to understand and work a different way 10 years ago where I'm actually, Getting, trying to get to the mind and really believing in my heart that the mind controls the feet. Because any living thing, that's the truth. When I work the horse now, I look at it that way. How can I, I forget about the feet. I forget about it, that even I want to move the feet a certain way. I want to get to the mind of the horse because I know that's how I control those feet. And that was a big turning point in my training. Because I was successful before that. You know, I was doing horses and getting things done. But once I really 
took to that. You do less now, don't you? I, I do less. I, I don't have to work Less is always more. And the horse is responding as I'm not fighting as much with the horse. You know, sometimes when you do it that way, you see clinicians now that still do it that way, they're all, they're running around their horse. You know, they're chasing the horse around. The, you know, there's one guy that's he's always and he's a top trainer, top clinician. You know, he's he's chasing the horse and running around, running him in circles. I'm like, this guy is working harder than the horse. You know, you don't have to. And, and you know, what's amazing to me is they don't understand. If I go to meet a horse for the first time, the last thing I'm going to do is start twirling a rope at him because I'm a natural predator. You're not even going to walk towards that horse when you go <laughs> meet him the him, first time. Right, I'm going to let him come to see you, see curiosity. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to pet him up real good. Yeah. Because I can't develop that a charming relationship. Thing. Yeah. Before you ask for the drink. Yes, of it. course. Of course. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go chasing him because he it's inherent in his DNA to be fearful of the human. So how can I build a relationship if I walk in that that ring and I start chasing him on a rope? Well, he's already made his mind up when you open the gate. Right. He's already made his mind up. So what you do from that point forward is going to taste the whole thing. So yes. this, is, what, this is pretty interesting, too, because I'm hearing you, you talked about understanding fear. Uh-huh. You're talking about like understanding empathy and really getting that horse to fall in love with you yeah. before you start, you know, asking or imposing, right. really opening up some doors so that that horse horse feels comfortable. <clears throat> and I feel like in everybody's journey, like it, it always comes down to like the emotion of it. And I think that's why we get into it in the first place. Yeah. And I think we, especially as professionals, we start to lose sight of that. Um, and in my, in my instance, for me, having worked with thousands of horses and thousands of people and their horses, there became a point where I stopped seeing the horse, where it was just up, oh, this is the next horse. And it wasn't until recently, and I say recently, it was a couple years ago, my dad died. And that was just devastating. Mm -hmm. And when he when he passed, and when you lose somebody close to you, you always right you take a you take an account of, of life in general and things like that, and it really gave me an appreciation of like what I have now. Mm -hmm. You know, you go through the stages of grief. You know, mm -hmm. I was mad, I was angry, all that stuff. <clears throat> but I got to a point too. And I'm gonna get real personal here. Where when my dad died, I would have these dreams of him, and I don't. I wake up. And because it felt so real, I'd wake up like, oh, God. And I, I like in the morning, I'd just be sobbing, bawling. And I, I still go through that over my dad. And, and it's crazy because yeah. it feels so real. And it's then, a blessing. And, and so that's where I'm getting to is like, then my, my mindset shifted to where like, wow, that was pretty cool. I got to spend the evening with my dad. Right. You know, we got to spend some time together. Yeah. And it, and so I started recognizing the blessings and the appreciation. And I got so convicted because handling so many horses, I, I, I would walk by a horse and not even acknowledge him. And I'm like, wow. And so I've, I've really been working on being more intentional mm -hmm. about, you know, seeing that horse, just like I would say good morning to somebody yeah. else and, and making sure that I'm really being attentive to that horse. What does that horse need? Well, in, is that in, horse okay? In, 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 and that's the entire thing because that's how they operate. They <clears> communicate <throat> with one another 
based on that intention and that ex that expression with that intention. Right. And we as humans are manual with the horse, and they don't they don't they that boss <laughs> mare will get one's tail if she needs to. I've got a boss <laughs> mare at home. You rarely ever see her have anything at all to do besides be out there and eat. She's they're not bossing like people think they're bossing. Does that make sense? She she uses her intention. Yeah. That mare, I can. There's five horses out there. I can put five buckets out there with feed in them, and she can eat out of whatever bucket she wants yeah. to, and never have that's, to. That's how America is. Never kicks. Never, never bites. Never even had changed the way he presents himself. Exactly. But in, you know the the other thing is, um, I feel like you know. So I have a rule: hand before halter always. Mm. And I tell my students that. I tell anyone in my clinic that. Uh, if I do a clinic, you go get that horse. Before you go putting that halter on that horse, you better pet that horse. Because your intention for that horse should be, hey, hi, what's up, buddy? Yeah. And then you, don't just go in there and slap that halter. And you'll watch me. I, I don't care. No one will find a video of me not walking up to any horse anywhere, whether it's a bridle or halter, and not petting that saying horse hello, first. Yeah, in. saying it's okay, and then put it on. Now, on the other flip side of it, you, you said the, you know, love, right? So, I don't believe, me personally, I don't believe horses love like a dog loves, okay? Um, I had a woman one time, I was doing a, a demo in New Jersey, in a dressage barn, and we were talking about treats. And normally when I start saying I don't believe in treats at all, I lose about four or five people. They just get up and leave, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> but this lady said, well, Sonny, your horse sis would love you more than uh, she does mm. if you gave her treats. And I said, well, do you have treats here? She said, I do. I said, now, mind you, there's like 200 people on the rail. And she's, she's kind of heckling me, but she was the, it was her barn. She was heckling me at, her, at my demo. I said, would you go get the treats? I have carrots. That's great. Can you get them? <clears throat> she got the carrots. She took sis. I said, take sis. She's on a halter. And take her down to the other side. So she did. I said, now feed her the carrots. Well, sis didn't eat the carrot because she didn't even know how to do it. I never <laughs> fed her a carrot. <clears throat> I said, well, just rub it on her teeth and she'll eat it. And she did. She started to eat the carrots. <clears throat> I said, does she love you? She says, more than you. And everybody on the rail starts <laughs> laughing. Oh, ha, ha, this is great, you know. I said, take off a halter. I said, does she still love you? And she's feeding the carrots. Absolutely, Sonny. You're going to learn a lesson today. I said, okay. Everyone's laughing on the rail. Well, you see my, you see me call my horse in. Sure. Right? I put my hand up. And I said, sis. Her ears went forward, and she tore her away from her. And she came and stood next to me, and I pet her. Just like tornado. <laughs> she said to me, I don't understand. She was, she was not happy. I don't understand. Why would she leave these treats, these carrots, to come to you for a pet? I said, because you don't understand horses. My horse would rather stand here with her leader and live than stand with your carrots and die. Absolutely. Horses yeah. are about, it's about her security. Fear will override that food 100% of the time. sense of survival. 100%. You know, she has to feel yeah. like she can, you know, she's going to survive, and I'm the leader that's going to take her there. Yeah. So, I love yeah. it. I think that's a, that's a good place to put a, put a full stop there. Yep. And I, I think that's powerful, and I think that's something that people at home need to hear because a lot of people say my horse loves me and I know it breaks a lot of people's heart to hear it but they don't no yeah. they just see you well, as a free meal at the moment yeah. at I, the, I always at the tell time. people listen 
oh, my horse loves to me, loves to be with me, and all this. I said, look, do me a favor. If you pull that saddle and, and uh, bridle off right now, and give that horse a real, if you really could speak to that horse and say, would you rather stand here and have me put the saddle on and ride you and be with me? Or if I'm grooming you, would you rather be with me? Or if I put you up on that pasture with those other three horses and eat grass, mm. what do you think that horse is going to say? Yeah. And believe me, a couple of them have said, well, they'd rather stay with me. <laughs> so I don't even bother arguing with that. <laughs> uh, but and it's not that I don't love my horse. I love my horses to death. But I, I would never. So for me, no, and I say this and people get mad sometimes. A person that spoils a horse with treats and lets them allows them to be spoiled in, in, in that way is just as abusive as someone beating a horse with a whip. Mm. Because for me, you're allowing this, you're taking this beautiful, majestic animal and degrading it to the point where it's not, you know, this, this magnificent animal and you're degrading it to like a baby yeah. or a dog. It's not your child. You know, I come in, sometimes people say, hey, daddy's here. You know, I come into the ring. If I leave sister, hey, daddy's here. And I look around, I go, her dad's upstate New York. <laughs> I'm not her dad. <laughs> and I understand how people do that. You know, and I get it. And I'm, I kid around, but I'm not kidding. You know, I'm like, stop babying your horse. This mm. is a 1,200-pound animal. You know, and, and the worst part of it for me is that that horse now that you give treats to is going to start biting and nipping. And then that horse is going to get a bad reputation yep. and it's because of you yep. because you did it not the horse i don't blame the horse he's being a horse it's your fault and you know i had a couple ladies they actually started you know they started tearing and i go look I, I understand you're upset but your horse is the horse in the barn that bites don't go near him you know be careful around him right and it's because of you it's not because of him mm -hmm. sure. you did this to him sure and, and, you know, some people don't want to hear it, but I, I say it, you know, this part. Now in my career, and, you know, we, we're pretty successful guys at this point, uh, I kind of say what I want to say. And sometimes I say it where... I, I feel like you were saying what you wanted to say before the success. No, well, I was a little more careful. I was a little more careful. But now, I, you know, and it, it really comes down to the empathy I have for the horse. Like, I, if, it, if your behavior... Allow, allows that horse to misbehave and get a reputation for being a bad horse. Yeah. I'm never going to take your side. Sure. And no matter what that horse does, mm -hmm. I don't care what the horse does. If that horse throws a buck, it's not his fault. He's doing what he's supposed to do in his mind. Do I want him to do it? No, of course. I'm going to correct that. If your horse bites, it's your fault. Yep. If your horse you know, pushes you around and drags you around, it's not his fault. Yeah. He's a horse. It's your fault. We do a, we do a one-day clinic at home <coughs> on on anthropomorphism with horses mm. putting a human spin on how they do and we turn the horses we'll take four people in this clinic and we turn the horses loose as a group and watch mm. how they interact with each other and then and then let the people kind of interact with the with the horses but we don't let them interact with their own horse mm. and, and it proves disproves and disproves a lot of what <coughs> Sonny's saying right here, that after they have to, when you've got a horse that's conditioned to getting that treat, yeah. and, and, and just like he said, and you approach that next horse that's not had that, or the whole mom thing, or they feel or they love, it, it's, it's telling when they have to go to another horse that's not been conditioned that, conditioned that way, <laughs> and he's just being a horse that's, that's suspect to them because they're a stranger. And I said, that's the true identity of the horse because they're suspect of everything until yeah. you make that relationship. Yeah. So.
So what's the best way to get a hold of you to learn more about you, Sonny, what you do, how you interact with the public, all that kind of stuff? So, I mean, uh, obviously, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I have a website, SonnyGardrulo.com. You can go there. I do some TikToks, uh, not too many yet. Uh, and I'm on Instagram. So I do clinics and problem horses and cold starting and stuff like that. And the expos. I do a lot of expos, too. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I have a, a clinic schedule on my website uh, if you want to see that. Also, if you follow us on Facebook, I'm constantly posting uh, not only my schedule, but I post videos sometimes, training videos and things like that. What, uh, what expos do you have coming up soon? Or what, what's uh, next? where are you going next? Uh, well, uh, the next expo probably will be Horse World next year. Okay. We're pretty much uh, finished up uh, for this year. So mm. I have a website, Carl Bledsoe Horsemanship. Um, you can see me on Facebook, uh, JustGate, G-A-I-T. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, the best way to reach me is the Facebook Messenger on Facebook. We answer that real regular. I do have uh, Equine Affair Massachusetts this November. Uh, we'll be there. I think we're doing either four or five presentations there. Awesome. And uh, we have a pretty busy clinic schedule uh, throughout the, the, the East uh, this fall as well. So we'll be in Virginia, New York, Illinois, Ohio, and and uh, Florida, but you can find all of that stuff on the Facebook page. Okay, so if someone wants to find your clinic schedule, that's gonna be on, on the Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yes, and, awesome. she, and she updates it real regular. All right, gentlemen. Thank you, bro. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Oh, this was my great. My pleasure, thank you. This, this has been great. a lot of fun.